morning, Northside family. How y'all doing? Good. Um, if you will hold up, uh, up your Bibles with me and repeat our affirmation. This is God's word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Amen. I, uh, I used to think that was a little odd to do it. I, I agree with these statements, this affirmation, of course. Um, I, maybe things just make me uncomfortable, but I, I thought it was a little odd to hold up our Bibles and say that. Um, but I've grown to love it. I really have grown to love it. And as I was preparing for the message this week, I was trying to figure out an illustration to open up with. I think little stories or illustrations are good to open up with, but I couldn't really find one I liked. So I decided to go with some statistics. And as I looked at these statistics, I was even more in love with our affirmation and more encouraged by it. Um, Because these statistics are a little worrying to me, and they show me that many people in America, at least, uh, even people who profess to be Christians, do not affirm what we just affirmed about the Bible. Um, Let let me just give those to you. Uh, 176 million Americans claim to be Christians. Woohoo! That's a lot. Yeah, like, great. Okay, that's 69% of the population. Uh, But only 6% of U.S. adults possess a biblical worldview, which essentially means that they affirm what we just said, that they believe the Bible is accurate, that it is reliable, um, that it is true. That's concerning that there's this large number of people who say they follow Christ, yet they don't affirm this about the Bible. Um, Some more statistics. There's a study of 2,000 professing Christians, so a little sample size. Uh, But 66% of that group said that having a faith matters more than what that faith is in. 64% of that group took it a step further, and they said that all religious faiths are of equal value. 58% of this group said that they believe if a person is good enough, or does good enough things, they can earn their way into heaven. These things are extremely concerning to me, and I hope concerning to you. One more statistic, another uh, sample group, but in this group, 60% of Christians between the age of 18 to 39 said that they believe Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad are all equal in regards to the path of salvation. So I tell you these statistics in part because um, our first two truths we're going to open up with are doctrinal statements um, about Jesus, about who he is, that he really declares about himself, and they're very significant, uh, but also because I want to challenge you and appeal to you. Get in the Bible. Open up this book. Don't just come on a Sunday morning and, and expect to be fed every week. Learn what the Bible teaches, what God declares about himself. And then on top of that, please listen to me. I plead with you to speak to young people about the gospel. I beg you to have gospel conversations with your neighbors. Please be in a place where you can defend the reason for the hope that's inside of you. Open your Bible. Let's grow in our knowledge of who God is. But this morning, like I said, we're going to look at two doctrinal statements in the book of John, chapter 10. 
uh, that Jesus makes about himself, he, two I am statements. And then after those doctrines, I want to just look at practically one of those I am statements a little bit more and look at three truths about it. And that is that Jesus says he is the good shepherd. Uh, but chapter 10 in John, verses 7 through the first part of verse 9, says this. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Our first doctrinal statement, our, our core statement to, to being followers of Jesus is this. Jesus alone is the gate to salvation. Jesus alone is the way by which all men can be saved. There is no other way. And you see, Jesus is using this illustration of a gate, of a shepherd, of a, a sheep pen to an audience who's very familiar with, with the picture of shepherding and sheep, right? And so in this day and age, there was two primary types of sheep pens. You had one that was in a city or a village in a central location where shepherds would come when they had to maybe do a couple things and they would uh, they'd basically put a bunch of flocks together and there would be some hired hands that would watch over the sheep while a shepherd went and took care of something important, some, some sort of business, right? Uh, but that wasn't often where the sheep were. That was just on occasion. Often there, there's another type of sheep pen that was on the countryside. Um, and this sheep pen was made up of a bunch of rocks that just make a big circle, all right? And this circle was, was not completely closed. It had an entrance for the sheep to come in, but there was no gate. There was no door. There was no, no, no thing to close this, this pen. So when the shepherd would call in his sheep each night, what he would do is after they were all accounted for, after he checked that they were all okay and they came in for rest, he would lay down in between those two rocks that made open this, this entryway, and he would become the literal door to the sheep. He would become the gate. So Jesus speaking to a group of religious Pharisees who are opponents to him, who, who don't like him, a, a group of, you know, skeptics who are, are trying to figure out, is this guy who he says he is? Like, let's, let's hear him out. Let's, let's figure out what he's trying to teach us. And then some people who are his disciples who are actually followers of him, a mixed crowd, he looks at all of them and he says, you have people over here who are thieves and robbers, these, these religious leaders. They don't care about you. They care about their title. They care about money. But I am the gate. I am the only way by which each and every one of you can be saved. A very, very bold claim. If you want salvation, you must come and seek it in me. If you want to be a part of God's people, you may only attain that through me. Your good deeds won't save you and make you right before God. Following Muhammad or another prophet won't make you right before God. Enlightenment and, and seeking to attain this perfect peace may give you a little warm fuzzies, but it's not going to make you right with God. I alone, Jesus says, can save you. I am the door. I am the gate. And in America, I want you guys to acknowledge and remember we have this thing called religious liberty that is a blessing from God. It means that, that you and I get to worship God. We get to worship Jesus uh, without fear of persecution because we have freedom to do so. Uh, so that means that other people have freedom to worship whatever they believe as well. It, it's a good thing, right? We, we may not necessarily agree with everybody else, but it's a good thing that we have this freedom. And even the Bible says that, that in this freedom, we should pursue peace with all men. We should pursue to live at peace with one another. 
but I want you to hear me very, very clearly. If we pursue peace with men by denying that Christ alone is the true gate to salvation, then what we do is we deny Jesus Christ altogether. Remember those statistics. We cannot be one with Christ, part of his fold, if we deny the very claim he made about himself. He makes that claim a little bit more clearly. You're going to see next week as Pastor Steve comes up and preaches on John 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He cannot be any more clear. Christ alone can save. And he makes it very clear to us. But his, his claims get even more bold. In uh, verse 11 and then, and then verse 14 through 15, I'm not reading straight through this whole text, but I would encourage you guys when you go home, uh, read through the whole chapter of John 10. I'm not covering everything extensively this morning. It's a great chapter. It's very encouraging. It's very challenging. But let's look at verse 11 and then verse 14 through 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now when, when we, with at least a Christian view of God, anyone who has a Christian understanding of who God is, when we try to think of an illustration of God or a way to kind of picture God in our minds, usually I think we think of one of three things. We think of God as king, which, you know, I... I I still do because he is our king, but I mean, I did a lot when I was like a young, you know, college student. I was like, yeah, God's, God's my king. Like, I want to be a soldier. I want to be a servant, you know. But we think of him as our king, as our Lord. We think of him as a father, right, who, who cares for us, who loves us. We, we think of the fatherhood of God. And then we have this picture of him as a shepherd, you know. Like, think of Jesus, all the little, you know, paintings of him with a little lamb that look all cute, right. Like, like God is our shepherd. This is one of the, the core illustrations or images that we have of God. And Jesus speaking to this mixed crowd, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, they would have pretty much had the same picture of God in their minds. Uh, other than they hadn't really quite figured out the fatherhood of God. They still would have thought of God as king and, and God as shepherd. You see, when Jesus declares to this crowd, I am the good shepherd, their, their minds, their thoughts would have immediately gone to the 23rd Psalm of David where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the countless other passages throughout the Old Testament where God declares, I am the God of Israel, I am the shepherd of Israel, you are my sheep. Ezekiel 34, God says clearly, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. You are my men, and I am your God. They would have known when Jesus declared, I am the good shepherd. He's not just saying, I like to hang out with sheep. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. He's making a bold, bold claim. He's saying, all these other religious leaders that try to watch over you, they're robbers, they're thieves, they're hired hands, they're going to run. But I am your God, the God of Israel, your good shepherd. I am here to care for you. I stand before you as the one and only way to salvation, and I am God. That's a big, big, big claim. A claim that clearly many professing Christians are missing out on or forgetting or maybe, I guess, don't know altogether somehow. But please hear me say this, right? This statement is made so clearly that after this, this whole speech by Jesus, they pick up stones to try to kill him. They acknowledge what he's saying about himself. They want to kill him, saying that he's blaspheming, saying he and God are one. Not cool to them. 
But you must hear and understand the significance of these two doctrinal statements to being a follower of Christ. Christ alone is the gate to the sheep, the gate to salvation, and Christ himself, Jesus, is God. Without trusting and believing these two claims of Jesus, one cannot truly be a follower of Christ. So now that we understand or at least see these claims by Jesus, I want to be a little bit more practical with you this morning and uh, unpack this, this good shepherd statement you know, in a way that I think is very challenging to each of us, okay? So hear me. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he is saying, I am God, but he's also saying this. He's saying, I am the good shepherd, and that means I must be everything to you. Do you hear me? Christ must be everything to you if he's going to be your shepherd. Understand the picture. Jesus is the shepherd. You and I are the sheep. This is not the most flattering picture if you understand a little bit of facts about sheep, right? It's not very good to be like kind of called a sheep, but it is an extremely comforting and extremely beautiful picture when you acknowledge the full context of the shepherd with the sheep, okay? So let me give you some sheep facts. Uh, Straight up, sheep are dumb, all right? They're just dumb. I'm not calling you dumb, all right? Okay, but they're dumb. Sheep will literally be in a group And they will graze all day eating grass in a field. And once they finish eating all the grass in the field, instead of maybe going over like, you know, a mile down to where there's fresh grass they can continue eating, what they'll do is they'll just be pooping everywhere and they'll start eating each other's poop until they die. They literally have to be guided over like just just a look. Hey, dude, it's it's right over there. All you got to do is go get the, you don't have to eat the, the poop. But they can't do it. They're stupid. In most animals, if if you let them go, you release them into the wild, one of two things will happen. They'll either turn wild and adapt and become a wild animal, or they'll return home, right? Like, think of a cat. If a cat goes out, they're just like, they're they're pretty good. They're like, whatever, I can handle it. If you let, like, a horse go without a rancher, then then a horse is going to be, like, super free, right? They're going to be excited. They're going to be like, ah, I'm like a horse. I'm so beautiful. Like, they're running. But if you let a sheep go into the wild by itself, it will literally just die, they're by nature followers. So if they're moving as, as a herd, then, then the, the one in the front just, just is walking and he walks off a cliff. The other ones won't even look up. They'll just follow that one off the cliff and they'll all die. They literally, if they get stuck on their back, they're like a turtle. They'll die on their back if no one flips them over. They'll eat poisonous plants and die. <laughs> they fall into water. They drown. And unless someone goes and gets them, they can't swim. They're helpless. The last statement about sheep I want to make that I think is cool because we'll move into the shepherd is that sheep when they're with a shepherd if there's ever one who's kind of a little rascal who who gets into a little bit more trouble than the others and is constantly wandering off into danger what a shepherd will do what a good shepherd will do is will break the back legs of that sheep so that it can't go anywhere will pick that sheep up put it on his shoulders and carry it around until his legs are healed and when they do this, by the time that sheep's legs are healed, that, that wandering sheep that got into so much trouble will now follow closer to the shepherd by his side than any of the other sheep. Some, some of you guys need broken legs, okay? All right. I'm just kidding, but maybe not, right? <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, we see in Scripture that God declares in, in Hebrews that, that He loves us in in the way that a father loves us, willing to even chastise the one that he loves. When you experience this punishment, this breaking of the legs that sometimes we need to show, hey, you're going to a place that is going to kill you, 
It's a sign of God's love and compassion and grace and mercy towards us. And for much as we can see that we're created in the image of God, that, that we can create, that we have, you know, all this, this ability to do great things, like we truly, as human beings, are special being created in the image of God. We are spiritually lost and dead sheep without a shepherd. We need a shepherd. So you get the point, right? Sheep are helpless. They, they absolutely are in need of a shepherd. Without one, they die. They're stupid, right? That's us. Yay. Okay? But now let's look at the shepherd, right? Because the shepherd is everything to the sheep. The shepherd is one who lives with the sheep. The shepherd is one who sleeps next to the sheep. The, the shepherd is the physician to the sheep who cares for them, who guides them, who, who feeds them, who literally does every single thing for the sheep. And the sheep know the shepherd. Whenever you have two, two groups of sheep that, that get stuck, which think of like hundreds of sheep, two flocks that get stuck at a watering hole, and you're thinking, dude, how are we going to separate these sheep? All the shepherd has to do is call for his sheep, and they know his voice. They know he cares for them. He is everything to them, and they run. Whenever I gave you that illustration of the gate, well, Jesus gives the illustration, but I gave you a little context. What a shepherd will do each night as as he's telling the sheep, he's calling them by name to come into this little fold, he will drop his staff and he will, he will look at every single sheep before they enter. He'll pick them up, he'll look them over, check them for any, any wounds, anything that could be a problem or cause sickness to them. And then he, he makes sure that they're okay before letting them in to have rest. He's always caring for the sheep. The shepherd will fight off bandits. People try to rob sheep. I don't I don't know what they're going to do with them, but they try to rob other people's sheep. And so shepherds will literally, like, defend their sheep as if it's their wife, like, and say, dude, you got to get through me, buddy. Right? They will literally fight to the death to protect their sheep. They'll They'll fight wolves. They'll fight all sorts of animals. And if you remember in the Old Testament, David, before he's, you know, big king of Israel, um, he actually fights a lion and kills a lion defending his sheep. That's wild, is it not? So you get the big picture, right? But let me, let me give you three truths about Christ as our shepherd that I think are challenging and the last one is comforting. Uh, but, but the question I want you to ask as I go through these is this. Very serious question. Is Christ your shepherd? Is Jesus truly your shepherd? Is he everything to you? You see, here's the first truth. To acknowledge Christ as your shepherd is to acknowledge him as one who's ever present in your life. To acknowledge him as our shepherd is to say, Jesus, you're always here. You will never leave me. You're with me every step of the way. And you see, we like the way that that sounds. It sounds really cute. It sounds really nice. Christ is my shepherd, yeah. But we hate the truth of it. When you really look deep in your own heart, you hate that because you don't want Jesus as your shepherd. You want Jesus as your consultant. You want him to be an assistant to you. You want him to be someone who will come and he'll get you out of a sticky situation, right? Like we want a convenient God. But he says, no, I'm a shepherd. I'm with you always and I need to be with you always so that you don't get in trouble. Is he ever present in your life? And so I I challenge you Have you faced the facts that you and I, all of us, need a shepherd and Jesus Christ as the only one for the job? Real quick, there was never a flock that had two two shepherds. 
So if you over here claim Jesus is your shepherd, I submit to Jesus, I follow Jesus, yet you're constantly finding relief and, you know, trying to dull your pain in alcohol. You refuse to submit that to God. Whatever that thing is, you're pursuing something else to be your shepherd. You've got to give him every little piece of your life. Have you faced the fact that you need a shepherd and he really is the only one capable of being the one that you and I need? He can't be a tag to your resume. He can't just be a genie that's going to grant your wishes. He's got to be everything. It's a big deal. The second truth, and these kind of trickle down, is this. For Jesus to be your shepherd, it means that you obey him entirely. It means you obey him entirely. Not just with the things that are convenient. Not just whenever it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm outgoing. If you tell me, God, to go talk to that person, I feel good doing that. But we don't feel good whenever he says, hey, I, I want you to be more generous with your money. Things that make us uncomfortable, we tend to kind of put our guard up with God and say, no, I, I don't really know if, if I'm going to do that. But he calls us to a life of complete obedience and recognize that, that obedience begins with abiding in him. It's, it's recognizing that, that he has our best interest at heart. When he calls us to do something, he has a good purpose in it. So I want you to have these three little tests really quick. I mean, and one of them just ways to figure out how you're not allowing Christ to shepherd you properly. One, what is the thing that you can't look God in the eyes with? What's that thing when you're caught in a lie, you know, and someone's confronting you, it's really uncomfortable to look them in the eyes when you're like, I am guilty, I know, don't look at me, right? feels weird. What's that thing with God that you're like, I don't even want to talk to him about it. I don't even want to address it in my life group. I, I don't want us to ever talk about it. Because you know that you're holding on to it. It's a quick little thing. Another little thing that you can do, and I would really, I, I really encourage you to do this one. All right? Write down every area of your life, every single area, political, sexual, moral, professional, recreational, thought life, your family life, your social life. Like every area you can possibly think of in your life and ask yourself these two questions. Am I willing to obey everything I know God wants me to do in this area? Are you willing to have complete obedience in that area? And then the second question, which is equally as important, am I willing to thank him for whatever he's bringing into that area? You see, in saying I'm going to obey you, God, you're submitting to him and trusting him as your shepherd, but being willing to thank him for everything in that area is saying, I truly do trust you as my shepherd that you've led me here, that, that, that you have a plan in this place, even if it's, if it's good or bad, whatever the situation is, are you willing to thank God in the midst of that situation? for where you're at there, ask yourself those two questions and whatever you can't answer yes to, that's an area that you are denying Christ shepherding over you in your life. The other and last practical little, little thing I'd encourage you to do, and I think this one's great, is called the Elijah Standard, right? It's a little thought experiment. So if you were to figure out that, okay, two days from now you're gonna die, right? You know for a fact, would you begin to change a bunch of stuff in your life or, okay, now say, now that I know, I'm going to go and right a bunch of wrongs and basically try to cover my butt so that when I'm standing before God, I'm like, I'm extra good, right? Basically, are you going to change up your way of living just because now you know you're about to stand before God? Or are you living in a way right now, each day, where you know if at any moment you go, you're going to stand before a glorious God who cares for you, who you know, who you follow, it's called the Elijah standard because Elijah, the day before that God called him up into heaven, if you look at his life, he was just doing the same old thing. 
We as believers should be able to do that. We should be able to live our lives each and every day in such a way where, we're, yeah, we may regret little things like, oh, I wish I would have done that. But like, overall, we should be able to say, yes, I am following after the things you're calling me to, Jesus. I am trusting you every step of the way. It's, I'm not earning my salvation in any way. It's all you, Jesus. Can you do that? We also need to obey and understand that this obedience, excuse me, is is going to require some discipline, okay? And, and discipline means, yes, we, like, we commit to doing certain things. Like, for one, please, like, you need to get in the Word. You need to read your Bibles, yes. But I want to give you basically what leads us to that place of, of committing ourselves to leading the Bibles. And, and what we need to do to really receive or understand this, this true discipline is we need to understand, like Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. What does he mean? He, he's making the point that when we constantly remember the depth of our weakness, our inability as the sheep, we're able to acknowledge and submit to and surrender and remember the goodness of him as our shepherd. His power and his ability that overcomes our inability. Does that make sense? I really hope that makes sense. So, so essentially, I am going to be, be one who continues to cry out to God moment by moment, who's seeking to speak with God hour by hour, who is constantly going to him when I'm constantly acknowledging that, hey, I am a filthy sinner who always needs God. I can't get up here and preach without you, Jesus. What am I going to do? All these things that he calls us to, that, that he's calling you to in your life, you need to acknowledge your weakness so that you can acknowledge his power to give you the ability to do what he's called you to do. You need to seek him. You need to commit to these things. Acknowledge his ability. Uh, the last point that I got for you this morning, that is the comforting point. Those are challenging. This is comforting. The good shepherd gives absolute security to his sheep. In verses 9 through 10, Jesus says, My flock will come and go freely, and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, if you come to Northside long enough, you know that we're not a prosperity gospel church. You know very clearly that, like, Jesus is not saying right here, if you come into my fold, if you submit to my shepherding, I'm going to make you healthy, I'm going to make you wealthy, I'm going to make you happy, I'm going to give you whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. The Jews use this expression about coming and going freely often to refer to someone who is absolutely safe and secure. See, understanding what Jesus is saying here is understanding that, that when I submit to his shepherding in my life, I'm understanding that, that Jesus is all who the Father give me, I will not lose one of them. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to give you up to the enemy. He's going to hold on to you. And that's comforting. That's security. You don't have to worry about constantly meeting the standard because he's met the standard. Right? It's understanding this rich and satisfying life is a life of joy and peace of mind. A life that says, okay, I understand that this world has got a lot of crap going on. But God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You have the authority. I don't have to worry. It's understanding and knowing the hope of our eternal future that we have. Realizing the goodness that truly awaits those who love and follow Jesus. Do you have this comfort? Because I would challenge you guys, each and every one of you, 
rest in his shepherding, realizing the security that Christ alone gives. Submit to his authority, his calling, his guiding in your life, realizing that, that if you obey him, he's not leading you into a trap. He's leading you into green pastures, a place that is good for you. So we're going to close with this. The shepherd lays down his life, but he doesn't have to. And it's a good thing I'm not the shepherd, because if I was the shepherd, there'd probably be a couple times where if a lion came up, I would say, yeah, here, have a few. Let's sacrifice a few sheep. But the good shepherd did not do that. He laid down his life. And what's so amazing about this is it's a, it's a sweet little picture, but when you put it in the perspective of realizing, again, that doctrinal statement at the beginning, Jesus is God in the flesh who, who existed from all eternity, who, who doesn't have a need in the world. Yet, I mean, he's sitting in heaven having everything he could possibly want, yet he enters into our world full of filth, and sin and wickedness and he doesn't just enter into it and even like start stepping on us and saying I'm king I'm God he enters into it as a servant and says I'm going to experience death so that I can exchange your death with life don't ask me to try to make sense of it because it, it absolutely does not make sense Christ is our shepherd and without him we are lost we're dumb, we're moments away from gruesome, painful death. But understand the gravity of the gospel message of his death on the cross where he says, I take your cross so you can have my crown. He says, I, I'm gonna die in the dark so that you can live in the light. Where Jesus says, despite all your wrong, all your sin, I'm gonna lay my life down for you because you are my sheep. I can't read minds, I can't read hearts, I don't know what people are thinking. I'm just up here speaking what God has given me this week. But I can tell you, as I study this and I prepare this, I know this is a shepherd's voice who I will follow to the ends of the earth. I know this is a shepherd's voice who, who I'm willing to submit every piece of my life to. I know that this is a shepherd who will always care for me and has a plan for me. I don't have to worry. So again, I ask you, is Christ your shepherd? If you hear his voice, he says, his flock will come to him. So if this morning, if he is calling to you, if you hear his voice, then my challenge to you is to, during this altar time, just come and, and kneel at this altar and you and Jesus, surrender it all. Surrender your, the thinking of this control in your mind that you think you have, Surrender that sin that is enslaving you and, and repent and turn from it and trust in him, his work and his call on your life as the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another day. God, I thank you that you've just allowed me to, to speak to your people. But God, I pray that, that all of this worship, all of this truth that we're declaring, Lord, that it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything if, if, Lord, if it doesn't change hearts, if we don't see it and realize it and truly understand. So, God, I just pray that you would give understanding this morning. 
I pray, Lord, that you supernaturally would just be calling out to your people in this place. Lord, I pray that you would be freeing people uh, from enslavement to all sorts of sin. God, I pray that you would bring us into green pastures, that you would give us just this joy that comes through knowing you alone. God, help us to stand firm and bold in a, a culture that is just more and more running away from you instead of towards you. God, we pray that your mercy towards America, towards us, would just continue, that you would use us to speak to people the truth of all that you are and all that you've done for us. Lord, we pray all these things for your glory and for our good.